Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn Ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. In this episode, we're going to talk about how deconstruction can be healthy if what we're deconstructing is our bad images of God's character. But before we jump into today's discussion, do you ever feel like the noise inside your head is deafening? Like the thoughts swirling around are like a rowdy cocktail party at which you find yourself the awkward host? Do you wonder how you could ever calm and quiet your soul like the psalmist of Psalm 131 says? Well, with Signpost Sten's virtual contemplative prayer workshops, we can teach you one of the methods that the historical Christian church has used to gently return to a passage of scripture or a biblical idea and help our minds quiet and focus on the presence and love of God. And now you can schedule our training at a time that works best for your group. We do the trainings over Zoom and the cost is $20 per person. Contact us at hello at signpostin.org for more information or to get started on scheduling your own virtual contemplative prayer workshop for your group. And now, enjoy the show. Well, hey, Brandon. Good to see you again. You too, Matt. Good to see you. So there's something I wanted to ask you about. Um, I just saw again this week in, uh, you know, Christian news circles about another popular Christian music artist who I grew up listening to as a kid, loved this guy's music, was was frankly uh, foundational for my early Christianity as a kid. And this guy has deconstructed his faith. You know, this is a popular thing going on right now, especially in on social media of Christians, prominent Christians who are deconstructing. And he calls himself now an ex-evangelical, um, you know, which is a new popular term among this this group of people that says, I was an evangelical, but I'm not anymore. I'm an ex-evangelical. And maybe these people aren't completely abandoning the faith. But they are abandoning certain core tenets or distancing themselves from uh, popular evangelicalism. And uh, I just thought it might be interesting to kind of talk about that because it's yeah, it's happening a lot. Yeah, I think it's I have such a great sympathy or compassion for people who are deconstructing uh, is, is the, the popular term to break apart, you know, to build to to look at one's past faith and take it apart. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea is to try to find the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are doing that. I don't think it's just the, the, fa- the famous people or the people who are on, you know, social media. And it actually my impression about the people who are doing it publicly is that it's somewhat disingenuous in that public sphere, because the people that I know, some of the people that I talk to in my spiritual direction practice, mm-hmm. who are who are genuinely deconstructing their faith and going through this time of doubt of is what I've been taught to believe really true. Yeah. 
it's not a it's not something that they want to share publicly. Mm. It's a deeply personal thing and it's a deeply disturbing thing. Yeah. Well, and I can I can I can relate to that on a certain level because when I went through college and me and you have talked about this many times, but I went through a a crisis of faith and one of the images that came to mind of what I was going through was it's like as growing up in the church and growing up in a Christian home, it's like my faith was kind of built on like unsteady Jenga blocks. Like I've got these gaps. It's not steady because I would never either sought the truth on specific issues very clearly, or I just sort of piecemeal put it together from what I was absorbing through being in church. And during that time in college, it was like, okay, I got to go back and either build it again or, or fill in those gaps so that it is stable and it is secure and that it's not just teetering and, you know, some, and, and any wave of doubt that comes by just topples the whole thing. So I get what you're saying. It is, I think it is important to go back to, go back to basics, go back to the foundational truths and things like that. Yeah. And I think to give some comfort or some compassion towards people who are deconstructing, the truth is that I think we all need to deconstruct our faith at some point in our lives. Mm, yeah. Because because we grow up. Yeah. And this really does connect to a lot of the things that we've been talking about lately in the last two times. We've been, you know, spending our time talking about our images of ourself and our false image of ourself, the way that we misunderstand what we really are and who God thinks we are. Something very similar happens here with the way that we have an image of God mm-hmm. and who we think God is. As we get older, and it doesn't, I mean, you can have a wonderful relationship with God as a kid, but as you get older and you mature, your relationship with God also matures. Mm-hmm. And that's healthy and normal. And you do need to ask questions about of yourself and of your the way you think about God. Mm. So this is really central to our relationship with God. One of the things that you mentioned that made me think it so clearly was you felt like there were gaps, you know, you had this Jenga tower Mm -hmm. of faith and it didn't, you didn't notice that it had gaps until stuff comes up in life that makes you start to question Mm -hmm. our image, our, our relationship with who God is. Yeah. As it develops over time, we start to notice that there's, there's gaps, there's wrong perceptions about how God behaves, how God thinks of us, whether he, you know, how he loves us. Um, And a lot of that stuff comes from our childhood. So if we grew up in family that is overly protective, uh, our parents may have given us the impression that we had to behave in certain ways in order to be loved. That relationship with our parents in our early life is transferred over to God. Mm. And there's a distinction between our beliefs and faith. And I'm borrowing this from A.J. Swoboda in his book, After Doubt, beliefs are those things that are we say about God, those propositional statements. God is a trinity. God is love. And we can have a series of correct beliefs, but then our feelings mm-hmm. and our subconscious ideas about God can be very different than what we say we believe about God. So you can say, I can say, I believe that God is loving and that he listens to me, but not feel like he is that at all. And that's going to impact my prayer life. That's going to impact everything in my life. And in fact, I think what's happened in a lot of evangelicalism is that faith has been reduced to correct beliefs. 
Okay. Elaborate on that a little bit. What do you mean? What we've been taught is that the goal of our Christian life is to establish true, correct propositional knowledge about God. Mm. And so many of us, myself included, have arrived at this place where we have a very well-developed philosophy of God. We could write an essay that describes God and his character, and it would be very orthodox and biblical. Mm. But our experience of God is very, very different. And I run into this a lot with people that I talk to where it's obvious that they're struggling praying or reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I'll simply ask the question, well, how do you feel about God? And it's funny, right, that that question right off the bat sounds different. Like we are so used to having the question, well, what do you think about God? Mm -hmm. And notice how specific that is. What do you think about God? Give me the true, correct propositions, the beliefs. And if I say, well, how do you feel about God? Or what's your experience of God like? Wow. It's a very different question. So people will say stuff like, well, I know I should think that God is loving and that he's present. And they'll pause and I'll say, but you don't feel like he is? Hmm. And there's a lot of guilt I see. I have experienced a lot of guilt in that disconnect between what I've been told and what is in fact true. When I say I should believe, I should think, I should feel that God is loving, but I don't. And there's a lot of shame and guilt wrapped up in that little gap. Mm -hmm. And the only category we have for it is we need to have more correct beliefs to come into the, to fix it. Interesting. So here's where I would encourage deconstruction. If you're in that space where you're saying, I should think God is this, but I do not experience him as this. I should think God is merciful, but I don't experience him that way. You know what? Healthy deconstruction is really important at that point. Mm. To deconstruct your past, your your theological language that you've been given, your experience with your family, your church. Why is it that you have this gap? Mm -hmm. Is your image of God truly accurate? Not are your statements about God. But is your experience, the way that you picture him, truly accurate? Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. What we think about God is central. In fact, I, I remember a, a, a book that I was given years ago by A.W. Tozer. Um, the introduction of that book, like one of the, I think the first line says, what we think about God or what we believe about God might be the most significant thing about ourselves because it shapes. Mm -hmm everything, right? It shapes, it shapes yeah. everything. So I guess the question then is, well, where do we go from there? I think it's very unhelpful to respond by trying to correct a belief or often unhelpful to respond by correcting a belief. Um, because it's not that we have the wrong thought about God in the propositional sense. Like it's not that I have the wrong proposition of God in my spreadsheet of beliefs. It's that frequently people have not experienced God as loving. Mm. So, so you're saying like if we're sitting across the table from a person who's having this kind of doubt or, or having this um, crisis of belief, not necessarily to just like, well, you're wrong about that. Just get it right. Here's the scripture. Look here. This is correct your belief. But rather it's to... Well, I mean, what would you say? Like, how do, how do you help them experience that God's loving? 
I mean, wh- where do you go from yeah. there? My advice to somebody who thinks God is angry at you for questioning or if you if your image of God is he's going to be really mad at you if you if you want to argue with him and you want to fight him and you're you're mad at him he's just going to throw you in hell without listening yeah walk away from that god you should that is not the god of christianity so fine you know and a lot of times that's my feeling towards a lot of these deconstruction stories and many of the personal ones i've heard people will come and sit with me and say i don't know if i can believe in god anymore and i'll be like well tell me what you mean who who is this god you can't believe in and they will describe a god that i'm like good i don't believe in that god either get rid of that image that's a terrible god <laughs> you know i mean amen and i will i will encourage you all day long to reject that belief in that god because that then leads to the next question of well who is god really and for that then we got to go to jesus and I mean, Jesus does some amazing things and he sa- he gives some amazing pictures of himself. Um, you know, just look at John, the great I am's and who is Jesus. And you're not, you know, you don't find this petty taskmaster. What you find is a very wise, but very personally interested and concerned, loving gentle person who does want you to grow but not out of not because he selfishly needs something from you really out of just tender gentle love for you and for your well-being yeah you know for you know most of my youth i i prayed to god as lord you know and i was very comfortable with that image of jesus is my king my lord i can pray um in, in my prayers, literally referring, Lord, please, you know, fill in the gap. Yeah. And that worked for me for a long time because that image of I am, I am a servant. I submit to my Lord and that worked for a long time, but then it wasn't until later in life when I I'd needed a father and I transitioned in my prayers from calling God and Jesus, my Lord to praying father. And Jesus invites us to do that in the gospels. He says, this is how you should pray. And that became a real big milestone for me in that at that time in my life, I did need a father figure, a father, a, a, the, the good father that we all truly have in the Lord. And even to the point of that intimacy growing over time to being able to use the words Abba in my personal prayer life, being able to sometimes just cry out Abba, um, like a little child is, it's, it's such a good thing. Yeah. I had a, I had a similar experience on a personal, uh, prayer retreat where I was spending a lot of time alone with, with God and talking to Jesus. And it was interesting that my relationship and image of God really focused on the person of Jesus for that week. I, I distinctly remember one time I was in, in the week, I was like, I think it's okay for me to leave this little cabin I'm in drive into town and go to the cigar bar and have a cigar. And I had a distinct image of Jesus saying, do you want to invite me to come with you? And I was like, huh, Jesus is like my friend. He wants to come smoke a cigar with me. And it really impacted me. And I texted my, texted my wife and I said, is it okay for me 
to invite Jesus to smoke a cigar with me? And she texted back, I think it would be a problem if you thought he didn't want to go do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, exactly, right? Like, Jesus loves us. He likes us too. Yeah. And this is something else where sometimes the image, like the the, the baggage that we lay onto images, because sometimes our image of a father is, well, a father loves their kids because they're stuck with them. And uh, and some in some family relationships, that's kind of the situation, but that's not the situation with God. And and that what you just spoke to is God's not stuck with us. He's chosen us. He, he not only has he chosen us, but he's actually pursuing us. He wants to be with us. And oh, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. It's it's such an amazing thing. I mean, it's it's kind of one of these things where you almost kind of start to blush. It's like, oh, geez, yeah. God. <laughs> You love me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. Right. It's, it's such a, it's such a thing where we, we have a hard time imagining that God delights in us. Um, like we know we're supposed to delight in him, but the idea of God delighting in us, like a proud father, even in our stumblings, that doesn't often enter into our mind, but that's, that's the truth. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that we say, we know we're supposed to to delight mm-hmm. in God. I've all, I, I find that to be such a strange, it's almost, I, I don't know if this is correct or not. It's like a category error in logic. Like mixing the words supposed to with mm-hmm. delight seems to break the whole thing. You are supposed to delight. It's like mom or dad saying to you as a kid, you're coming and you're going to have fun whether you like it or not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I'm not. (laughs) That's, that's like not possible, right? If I don't like it, I'm not going to have fun. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to delight in God, whether you like him or not. (laughs) No. Yeah. But that brings us right back to, we love because God first loved us. Just change the words. We delight in God because he delights in us. There's no supposed to here. God's not supposed to delight in us. He does delight in us. He finds us delightful and he keeps coming. Even in our sin, he finds us delightful mm-hmm. because we're his created image and he, he created in his image and he loves us. We're his special children and he's coming after us and he wants us and he wants to save us and rescue us and make us beautiful again. And he just loves us. Yeah. That's really a delightful image and it's a delightful truth. And there's no supposed to here at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I think here's how I want to wrap up. If you're struggling with how you think about God and how you feel about God, I would encourage you to to ask, maybe this is an invitation from God to grow and have a new image of him that is more true to his real character and to find people who are mature Christ-like Christians who aren't demanding and angry, who can help you experience that in themselves so that you will experience God the way he really is as well. Yeah, I think that is. I think that's a great way to wrap up. Uh, Thanks for joining me today, Brandon. And um, I guess to our listeners, we just say, may the grace of Jesus Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free e-book. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, 
and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate.